morning, Gateway Church. It's great to be here today. We are a growing family after God's heart. I'm going to tell a story, um, share with you. She didn't wake up that morning planning on getting lost, this person. She didn't say before she put her feet on the floor, today I'm getting lost. No one gets lost on purpose, do they? It was a beautiful day. We got up early before sunrise and drove two and a half hours from Gillette, Wyoming to Buffalo, Wyoming, the gateway into the Little Bighorn Mountains. And we started to work our way up the foothills into the mountain streams packed with trout, rainbow, and brookies. Never had caught trout before, and it was so much fun. Had a great time. My brother-in-law, Byron, that's his name. His real name's Brian. He got a nickname, Byron, and it stuck. He was our guide, and he knew exactly where to take us. He knew those, those mountains. He, was, he loved to go there and hunt elk in the fall and trout fish in the spring and summer, hike around. So we worked hard. We, I mean, here it was, rookies. Got our tennis shoes on. They're going to get wet. You're going to get wet. You're going to be tired. This is, this is not fishing in a nice little boat in Minnesota with a big bobber kicking back, and you don't catch anything. He said, you're going to have to work on this trip. And so we beat back the, the brush when we got out, ducked under the low-lying branches, we had to climb over fallen trees. We got our feet and our bodies wet. But we finally were able to get that little, short little fishing rods with, with fine line and, and, a, and a bobber and no fly fishing. That was way too hard for us to figure that thing out. I mean, he could do that. Just like snap that thing. And wow, he could almost take a fly right off your nose. I mean, he was... Instead, we had to use these little fishing rods, but, you know, the, the art was to, to drop that, that, that bobber and that line out just a little bit, and then you would, you would try to figure out exactly where those fish were. Then you try to guide that, that line right in there, underneath the rock or what have you, and we would catch these fish. They were beautiful fighters. We were walking downstream, and as we walked downstream, we would, we would fish, and when, we, when, when they hit, then we would reel them back upstream, and they, it was, it was a, a riot. They were fighters. We came out of the thicket to this beautiful low-lying meadow with the stream, now lazy, winding back and forth. Can you just see that picture? The sun was warm. The forest all around us was deep green, green shimmering in the sunlight. We had a great time. I mean, it was, it was perfect until someone asked the question. Has anyone seen Johanna? Now, Johanna is my niece. She's not my daughter. She's my brother's daughter. It was like, I'm not going to beat up my brother today, but 
she was lost on his watch. <laughs> we're all family, so we're all in it together. Never, that, that never crossed my mind, but I was thinking, did we not have a conversation on all of those miles from Gillette to, to Buffalo? Hey, do not get separated. Do not walk off on your own. You could get lost, and it's not a nice place. Has anyone seen Johanna? She was, she was gone. She was lost. We don't wake up and say, today I'm going to get lost. Maybe you feel lost in some kind of begetting sin today. Maybe it's a stronghold in attitude, in thought. Maybe there's certain habits and actions that you can't seem to shake free of. You may not say, I'm going to get lost in sin. But listen, every sin I commit is ultimately a choice I make. Can't blame anyone. Can't blame where I'm at. Certain things that I need to stay away from, obviously, but when you and I commit a sin, that's the choice I made. So how do you break the cycle and be set free? I have good news to share from God's word today. Like Johanna, lost. She heard the voices of her family not just calling out her name, but literally screaming, Johanna. I called her Josie Wells. That was the nickname that I had for her. I didn't say that at the time. It was Johanna, Johanna. I mean, it got to the point where we were actually thinking about who's going to drive down to Buffalo and, and you know, report someone, someone who's missing. And we didn't have any cell phones at that time, I don't believe. We just call out her name. She was found. I mean, right at the, the nick of time. You have someone who's calling out your name today. You can hear the voice of the one who loves you. And in return to hearing his voice today, we need to use our own voice and make the good confession. That's what I want to talk about. Making a good confession. Confession is easy and as hard as A, B, C. That sounds easy, but we know it's not. Because it requires brokenness to confess. I'm going to give you three characteristics of a good confession. More importantly, of a godly Confession. What is true confession? What does it involve? What does it look like? It's all right here. Nehemiah 9. I mean, we are moving now through this book fast. You're saying, well, a couple of weeks ago we were in chapter 6. We're, we're past 6. If you, didn't, if you weren't here, go listen to it. We are in chapter 9. Last week it was a week about rejoicing, remember? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And you think, 
in this next chapter, it's not going to be about rejoicing and joy. It's going to be about repenting. They put sackcloth and ashes, dust on their heads. I mean, how could you go from rejoicing one minute to crying out in repentance the next? It doesn't seem like they are compatible, but they are compatible. Nehemiah 9 is a template for our heart that is broken and contrite before the Lord. Anyone who desires to make a good confession, so here it is. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Because it's so simple. I want you to see it. Three characteristics of a good confession. A, I mean, yeah, of course, just acknowledge that God is right. B, admit that I am wrong. See, this is where it really gets hard. See, commit to change. I'm going to show you, we're going to see it right in the Word, in Nehemiah 9, where you see all of those things. You can write it down, it won't take long. In fact, my boys, Pretty much write notes every week. Right, guys? I mean, I look at their notes and go, wow, really? I said that? That was pretty good. (laughs) They will write this down. I'm proud of these boys. They, They love the Lord. I'm telling you what. They are on the front row. Come to 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 Common Grounds Youth Church. Pastor Colin comes up to me and often says, I love the heart of your boys, A.J. and Ashton. That wasn't on my notes, but that's what the Lord wanted you guys to hear. Acknowledge that God is right. Let's look at Nehemiah 9.1. There's so much here. You've got to read the chapter. On the 24th day of the same month, The Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. I mean, I'm not kidding you. In chapter 8, there was none of this. How can this be? Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed what? Their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of a day. Guess how long that is? Three hours. And spent another three hours in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. I mean, I'm looking at the clock worried about the time, and and that was six hours. I mean, I'm only one hour into this today. That was a joke. I'm not serious. I'm not going to keep you here six hours unless you want to stick around. Three hours what? Confessing their sins. Three hours listening to the word of God.
Standing on the stairs of the, Lev- of the Levites were all these guys' names that I'm not going to say. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. I want you, I want you to see that again. That's where confession starts. It doesn't start with you and I getting on our knees. It starts with you and I getting a really big picture of how awesome God is. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, all their starry host and the earth. And all that is on it, and the seas, and all that is in them, you give life to everything, and the multitudes, the angels of heaven, worship you. That's where confession starts. That's good news. That's where I want to start. All it means when I say God is right is that He's awesome. He's always good. He's faithful and gracious. He's forgiving and compassionate. In this chapter, it says, he's slow to anger and abounding in love like three or four times. Sequence is everything. You gotta start with acknowledging that God is right. He's he's awesome. Verse 15, real quick. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land. Who is Nehemiah referring to? Jesus. He's the bread of heaven. So you got that one? Admit, admit, God is right. Acknowledge that he is right. Secondly, admit that I'm wrong. Take blame for my own sins. Accept responsibility for my own actions. There's a cycle in this chapter. I want you to go home and read about it, but there's there's a cycle. And he writes about the history of the Israelites. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked. And they did not obey your commands. You know how many times they use the word stiff-necked in that chapter? I'm just like thinking, wow. I don't want God to say that about me. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate. You are slow in anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. And then commit to change. Vow to be different. This is the hard one. 
The other two are, yeah, okay, that's pretty simple. But this is hard to do. Vow to be different. That's what they did here. They made a vow. Wait a second. I can actually promise that with God's help, I will walk a new path. That's what they were doing here. Look at what Nehemiah 9.38 says. It says, in view of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. Do you think they were serious about their confession? They put it down in writing, and our leaders and Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And then, and they wrote it. And that's chapter 10. And if you want to stick around three hours, we can look at that, but I don't think you want to. Trust me. They committed to change. Who does that anymore? Who makes commitments? They're making a promise. They're writing it down. You've heard the saying, never make a commitment you can't keep. You've heard that, right? It's good advice. Never make a commitment you can't keep. But taken to its extreme, listen, it can actually work in a negative way. What What do I mean by that? We can become non-committal. We say, I could never keep that commitment to God, so why should I make one? Jesus always called for high and ultimate commitment, didn't he? This is New Testament as well. He would often say to his disciples, are you in? Are you still in? Do you want to leave too? In essence, he was saying to them, I'm either worth everything or I'm not worth anything. There's no middle ground. There's no wiggle room with Jesus. One of the reasons why the church in America is weak I think most of us would just say, yeah. Look at the culture and look at the culture in the church. In I'm talking about as a whole. It is a sad state that the church of America is in. Because what the findings are saying is that pretty much... What the world does, we do. What the world believes, we believe. It's not that much difference at times. I think our churches are full of non-committal people who want to just do A and B and skip C. You can't do A and B without C. 
Yeah, I'm going to make commitments to the Lord, and I'm going to fail those commitments. I'm going to make commitments to my wife, and I'm going to fail those commitments. To my kids, to the church that I serve, to the friends that I have, I'm going to make commitments to them. And with God's help, maybe I can succeed in some of them. But at least they know what? At least they know I made a commitment. And that when I fail, and that when you fail, we get on our knees, like it shows right here, and we what? We acknowledge how great God is, how kind and forgiving he is, and then we what? We repent. And we say, Jesus, I'm signing up again. We want to be Jesus' friend. We want to hold his hand and feel the warm fuzzies inside our hearts. But he's looking for a commitment to change. Well, that's the preacher side of me, right? The Lord really, really touched my heart this week about that. I mess up a lot, folks. I just still want to say, God, I'm, I'm committed. Help me fulfill my commitments. That's what this table is all about right here. That's what this table is all about. It's about sinners coming forward and saying, you paid the ultimate price. You died for my failures, for my mistakes, for my sins. Past, present, and future. I just want to say to you, Jesus, I am so grateful and so thankful that I can take this bread and this cup and I can just say to you, thank you, Jesus. I'm in for another week. (laughs) Holy Spirit, fill me. I'm yours. Whatever you want to do in my life, I want to repent of my sin.